We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And in the last episode, we talked about some starting lineup ideas, right? There's more influx in terms of who starts and where. And within that and the context of a pretty talented roster, a lot of guys that are used to getting shots, used to getting minutes, that for all of this to work, there's going to take a certain degree of sacrifice. And when the various role players, especially that were signed on last Friday, a few of them talked about the idea of sacrifice. Trevor Ariza stood out to me in particular. Uh, Harrison asked about his role and what that will look like going forward and whether he got any input on if he should start, if he's going to start, come off the bench and all of that. And he said, I don't know. And that's not really what it's about. Right. And winning Ellington brought this up as well. These are also things, Darius, that are easy to say in your introductory press conference and can sometimes be more difficult to live and to go through, right? What does it mean in your eyes to sacrifice for a team, especially coming from the perspectives that these guys are coming from? First off, I will say that it's good to say it, at least. It is harder to do, but yeah. but I, <laughs> I yeah. like hearing it said, like, this isn't to dog Dennis by any means, right? But last season, it was some of his first media comments, right? And the thing he's saying is, yeah, like, I want to start. And I did the six-man thing, and I see myself as a starter, right? And it was... Now, some of that was in contrast to what fans envisioned Dennis was going to be. And so that sort of pushback initially, I think, was related to what expectations were around that. But it's you want a player to be confident. You want them to believe in, and, and, and be strong-willed about how they envision their contributions being to any given team. That said, the contrast to me was enlightening about the idea of what you're here to accomplish and what you're here to do and where you see yourself in the mix. And so when it comes to sacrifice, though, it is going to be sacrifice within the context of shots, 
and minutes and potentially, and this is where I think the hard part is, Mike, is not playing and keeping your spirits up when you're not seeing a rotation role sort of come to you and being enthusiastic about that at times when that's not why you're an NBA player. You're an NBA player because you expect to sort of be in the game and contribute. There's very few guys around the league that sort of willingly take on that Jared Dudley role of, hey, I'm here to be in guys' ear, to be vocal in the film room, to be a practice player who is helping guys get ready for the game. And when the game comes, I'm going to cheer for my teammates. Very few guys around the league willingly take on that that role. And when that role is forced upon you, when you're not necessarily ready for that, that can be dispiriting in in a way that I don't think we talk about enough within the context of like mental health and, and being your best self and how that then impacts your role within the team. And, and so Mike, the idea of sacrifice to me is are you going to be able to sacrifice in ways that you do not envision at the very beginning? Because I think that's the bigger question at hand here. The Lakers had this down really well in the first go round with LeBron and AD. And that lasted the whole season. I think that it helped that they won consistently the whole season for that. And whenever the winning just reinforces the message and reinforces the way you're playing and so that kind of took care of itself. Last year, they they made the understandable roster switch, but I think that was always going to be more difficult when you had several guys, and not just one or two, but like at least three guys that felt like they could and should be doing more and should be playing more. And that's, again, that's a minimum of three. I think there are really more like five uh, guys last year. This year, I think it's it's the pendulum has swung back closer to where it was two seasons ago. And so Trevor Ariza embodied this in his comments. And I've got the quote in front of me. He said, when you're trying to win a championship, the only thing that matters is the success of the team. The idea is for everybody to make each other better every day and to cheer for your teammate's success, which is like basically verbatim what Darius just said. And Ariza is, so when Ariza says that, and then Dwight Howard says it and has already done that, like Dwight did do that two years ago. Dwight was the guy up there cheering, even when he wasn't playing, which is you know different from earlier in his career. So those are those are two vets that are coming in and saying that, and they're also essentially then volunteering themselves to be players if need be on a given night that aren't going to play and that are going to cheer. So like there's two. We know that Bazemore is that kind of a personality, or I, I shouldn't say we all know. I know that uh, from when he was last with the Lakers. That's that's what he's like. And Ellington, I think, is a guy that fits in like that, whereas like he wants to play. He wants to play like everybody else, but he is the last guy that's going to make waves about it. And he's going to cheer for everybody else. And so then on the the other end, you have some of the younger guys like you've got none and you've got Monk, who we don't know about yet. I'd say Monk, like very clearly seemed to be just super thrilled just to be here, just to be having the chance to play with Russ, to play with LeBron, uh, to play with AD. Uh, That, I think, bodes well. And so. You know, we know like THT, we know his personality. So I see this this as being a more harmonious type of a roster to handle this kind of situation where it can get back to just what is best for the basketball team to win. 
And the only other thought I had on this was actually kind of basketball related, Pete, uh, to kick it back to you. We were talking about the starting lineup. And for a while, um, I had uh, my first inclination was sort of Bazemore to start. And then I thought more about it for a second. And I'm like, you know, what? maybe maybe they do just go straight with whoever the best shooter around these guys. And maybe it is Ellington from the start. But I'm I'm kind of I'm still going to start with Bazemore. And here's the here's the thought. Why? At the end of quarters, when AD stays on the floor and they start to double him more. And in the past, like some of those kickout passes would be to like a Caruso. I, I do like the idea of Ellington being on the floor in those situations. So like when, because maybe I don't need that floor spacing as much right to start. Like I got Russ attacking. I got LeBron attacking. I got AD attacking. I got the other team isn't fully locked in yet, but then that idea of, of doubling up and on somebody and then really having my best spacer on the court then. And it's the same thing in crunch time, by the way. Um, so that's, that's an enticing thought to me. And I know I jumped around. I had to, for some reason, no, get great. all of my thoughts out uh, once there. But, but yeah, please pick it up wherever you want. Sure. Well, let's start. Let me start on the sacrifice thing before I get into the two shooters. The the two guys that I do wonder about are, are Mello, right? And this is not, none of this is a, Mello's a bad guy or anything, but that's Carmelo freaking Anthony, man. That is a player of a, a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer that everywhere he's gone, he's been relied upon to score. I want to do a pod. It's funny. We're going to say this probably three times an episode for the next week at the very least. I would like to do a pod on lineups right we talked about uh, the starters and then a little bit about the rotation but the way that Vogel is operated in particular is there are certain parts of the game like the first six minutes are the starters but then the last six minutes those are your AD at the five minutes over the last two seasons right whether it's Rondo at the point I expect Russ to be at the point during then then the start of the second quarter is LeBron right and a LeBron led unit I think next to Dwight, when Dwight was here last time, I think that gives us guidance on to when he will play, which was the start of the second quarters. And then the last six minutes of the first half would be more AD at the five type of time. And again, this goes back to two years ago. Last season, I think the idea about sacrifice, I can go in a bunch of different directions. This is the theme of the offseason, right? Is all of us have so much to say that we can go in all of these different directions. With respect to Mello, I envision Mello's role as being the go-to or one of the go-to half-court scorers alongside the LeBron unit that next to Dwight, right? And so that LeBron-led unit to start the second quarter, to start the fourth quarter, Mello is kind of stepping into that Markeith Morris type of role. But Keith didn't always play, right? They're different between Markeith Morris not playing and Carmelo Anthony getting DNPs. The other guy that I think of is THT. And he's n- not somebody that, you know, has like complained or anything like that. But THT from watching the footage on him from just, you know, the, the melt footage and hearing stories about him. THT is a very confident guy and rightfully so. He knows he can hoop. And there are several other guys on this team that can handle the ball and that can that will take some of his opportunities away. Right. If he were on another team, I remember there's a quote from a scout last year that he could be averaging 18, 20 points a game on another team if he had those touches. So there were a couple of guys uh, along with the new young guys in Monk, in Kendrick Nunn, that also fit this description that are more – I'm not as confident as you are, Mike, on the we're everybody's going to get along and do this. That said, Darius, this is a leadership issue right this is something that lebron especially but also ad and vogel it's what did we come here to do 
And being able to establish that, that I think becomes especially important because I do see potential problems, not that they will be problems, but I could totally see situations where it's similar to last year where guys are a little bit, you know, like I, I, I want to be able to do more. I also think the introduction of a new player like Drummond, there weren't those issues with Trez and Mark last year before the Drummond acquisition. That was to me the worst part of the Drummond acquisition, which is a topic that greatly annoys me. I thought that he contributed quite quite well when he was allowed to play his role, but it pissed off two, two of the other centers, right? So anyhow, I, I see similar potential landmines that I think that leadership will have to navigate. Yeah. So Pete, my pushback will be that you could say that about any team in human history uh, at sure. any at any level, including six-year-olds. Like so the parents of the kid who <laughs> yes. is not playing enough wants their kid to be playing more. And so it like it's just a it's a human nature. This is sports. This is like part of the reason why we like sports is because it's a it's a good way to learn about that in actual real life. So, yes, there, there are always going to be guys on the roster and you're you're right. I should have pointed out Mello. He is definitely one in the past that has bristled at some sort of change of role. And he he managed to like in, it wasn't a question in Portland. So we didn't really get to find out because he played every single game at the backup four. Melo's going to play. He's going to play. Yes. The Lakers need his shooting. They need his spacing. He is he is reliable in that role. He's going Carmelo Anthony is going to play. He, like, and he's going to score, right? Like that is something when you say he's reliable, that's what he's reliable at. He's going to put the ball in the hoop. In the second half of the pod, I want to talk a little bit more about like what this roster doesn't have. Right. And what could potentially disrupt some of this conversation about sacrifice. Right. Because the point that you made, Pete, about when Drummond came in, that idea was, hey, we kind of don't have this. We don't have this. Right. Like as much as we love Trez, as much as we love Mark, neither of them is this. Mm -hmm. Drummond wasn't a floor spacing big like Mark, but he was a big body he wasn't the interior finisher that Trez was, but he could do that a little bit too. And he was this sort of bridge player that represented certain pieces of this and certain piece, pieces of that. And he can play. And did the Lakers cater to him maybe a little bit more than we would have liked? Yeah, they did. But that's neither here nor there. That said, he was brought in to fill a role that did not exist. Yep. On the team, the timing of bringing that in, I think, disrupted things in in a way that was hard. The idea of sacrifice, I think, has to be brought up at the very beginning. Yes, that was that was what from Trez and Mark's perspective. That's a like, oh, we didn't sign up for this, right? Like this is when we when we came to this team, they both signed as free agents. That it, it's under a certain, and so th these guys signing. At the beginning of the season, joining the team at the beginning of the season, kind of knowing what the deal is. That's something that I think most players, and that doesn't make them bad guys, right? It's just that if your role changes in, in midstream, of course you're going to feel some type of way about it. So let's take a break. When we come back, I, I do want to talk about that, D, that idea of what we don't have and how that can be filled in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So this, through the lens of sacrifice, we don't have as much defense on this team, for one. That's, that's one of the main areas that pops up. We could always use another wing guy. I'm, I think I'm more happy with the wings that we signed than other people are because we do have LeBron, right, as, as well in that type of spot. So I'm worried about our guard defense, and that's something where Caruso's loss stings on several levels. But on strictly the on-court one, there are a lot of guards to go through between – the beginning of the season in an NBA championship on elite teams. You've got over in the Eastern Conference, Kyrie and Harden. That's a potential finals matchup. You got CP3 and Booker. Letting a guard defender walk is like, uh, like that's something that, that concerns me. But through the lens of sacrifice is that's something Westbrook is capable in certain areas defensively, right? All of these guys that as shots are taken up by your LeBrons and ADs and Westbrooks and Mellows and there's, you know, everybody else kind of has to feed on the, the the leftovers of that, that that idea of being willing to sacrifice to put more of your energy and effort into these areas of the game that maybe nobody but your other players and coaches see. That's something that the establishment of that type of environment becomes really, really important because there's a capability there, but achieving that takes a lot of work. So I look at this roster in an interesting way within the context of sacrifice and what the team does and does does not have. They have a lot of guards. They may not be the exact skill set that we want, right? But I do not envision the Lakers bringing in another guard to play a very specific role just because they do not have that guy on the roster. What they're probably going to do is just ask the guys they have on their roster to do the best that they can at the thing that they're not as good at, right? And so, hey, Kent Bazemore, guess what? You get to chase this guy around tonight, like or Wayne Ellington, or Malik Monk, or Kendrick Nunn, or Russ, right? You have to do this tonight. Sorry. Like, I know that you're not as good at that, but you're good at these other things, we're going to try to get you as many opportunities to do those things yep. on the court that, that we can while also understanding you're going to have to do these other things too that you're not as good at, right? And so the Lakers have a lot of guards. I do not anticipate them signing 
a Not seventh good. guard, sure. right? <laughs> sure. like, like, I just don't see see that happening. For me, when I look at the roster, I also see that they have some quality sort of combo forwards, right? That starts with LeBron. But I think Ariza fits that mold. And I think Melo fits that mold. And then you have another combo forward in Anthony Davis, who is a four or five, right? What they do not really have to me is a more rugged forward. They let that guy sort of walk in Markeith Morris, who I think was a more stout, physical, physical, power forward type. Right now, Keith could play some small ball five, but he mostly did that in the most successful lineups. He mostly did that next to Anthony Davis, right? Where he really wasn't the five at all. Like AD was the five, right? Those lineups where he played next to LeBron and a bunch of other forwards, those lineups actually weren't that good. And we <laughs> called those the all forward lineups where it's like, yeah. oh, look, it's Kuz and LeBron and Keith. Yeah. And, oh, look, there's another forward. And it's sort of just like, yeah, guess what? This lineup stinks. Like, it just did, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think Vogel wanted to play those guys because they are they were all rotation players and he was trying to find a role for everyone and mm-hmm. get them appropriate minutes. But those lineups weren't very good. I do not see that sort of rugged forward type that you could play next to AD when AD is the center and – and say, you know what? You're going to do a bunch of dirty work. Like, Ariza kind of isn't there to me. He is more of a wing guy. He can play some combo forward, but he is sure. not that rugged four. And that guy's not mellow either. Right. Right. And LeBron is overqualified for that. That's not what LeBron's role is going to be. Do y'all think that that's an issue for this team and and would you think that it's something that they might look for in free agency still to fill a role or are all the roles already accounted for and too bad we're just not going to have that on this roster i don't know if there's a player out there that can come in and fill that precise role which i agree with you is something that's absent it's it's the same way though that they don't have that for sure like when we're having the, the debate about the starting shooting guard and there's a debate because there isn't the one player that does both things you want on both sides of the court. And it's that whole it's the whole thing. I'm always going on and on about the two way guy that you don't ever have to think about taking off the court. And when you get down into a playoff series, that's when that stuff really matters. Like, all right, well, wouldn't we be better off with with Ellington in for offense in this case or Ariza in for defense? You know, that when you have the guy, and this is why I, I thought that KCP and Danny Green were so valuable in that context. And even, you know, even Caruso, where, sure, like you could get better shooting than him on offense, but you knew that he was going to set screens the right way. He was going to cut to the basket. He was going to make, like, he was going to make something happen. And if they left him completely wide open, then he could bang that. He could bang that three. So that's that's the spot I still think of most. And it, it does translate some to Darius's point about, the super small lineup or even like going small when AD is not on the court, which you saw at times like LeBron can guard some centers just fine. But then is mellow your next most physical player at the four? You know, you, you probably don't want that. And you may, you may in that case, just go to Dwight and just say, all right, forget that. We're just going to be a little bit bigger. So, but those are, it's the two way for sure guy 
uh, that as that is I think was always going to be absent once you made the trade for Russ and committed all of the resources in that direction. And that's where the the kind of upside to this part, Pete, is still well. If Russ, you know, uses athleticism a certain way and played up, it like that, that's the enticing part to it. It's like, all right, well, now you're here. So, you, so you would like, you would love to see that level of defensive physicality, if nothing less, uh, from Russ. But yeah, it's, there are, there's certainly holes, but I, I don't, I think fewer than any other team in the Western Conference. So let me, let me put, let me put it that way. For sure. And I'm glad that you brought up Russ because I think he's the guy that if he, comes into the season with a sacrifice mindset. And that should be ideally across the team, including LeBron and AD, right? There are a lot of players that if they work together and collaborate, they their individual numbers and touches will reduce, but the the success of the team will be, I, I really think, just phenomenal if that happens. And there's nobody with a higher upside in that respect than Russell Westbrook because he's he's the special athlete amongst the guys that we're talking about outside of LeBron and AD. He is capable of some like he's such a force around the rim that, again, I'm, I'm envisioning those weak side cuts across the paint that if AD is in the post or LeBron is in the post, you have to tag Russell Westbrook hard. Like if he's cutting to the rim and you do not – you just give one of those, oh, I'm going to reach and just touch him. He's going to catch the ball right there, and he's either going to raise up and score, or if the help defender comes over, he's going to dump that off. But it's, So you have to take that away. you know. But that's also, again, this off-ball action where he might not get the ball for three, four possessions if he's in that role in that circumstance. And uh, I don't know if th- – this is kind of just tangentially uh, related. When you've got – Russ and Pete, you've you've mentioned this. Uh, Darius, you've talked about it too. Pete, you've tweeted it like the other night. The energy that Russ is going to bring, just in general, and the 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 power once fans get back. Like I'm so glad oh, that wait. the season with fans getting back is the one where you get Russell Westbrook because yes. that kind of stuff counts for a lot of it papers over all of these types of concerns with with rotation and with like Russ because I've I've been in Oklahoma City. More times than I'd like to admit. I, I and This is no shot to Oklahoma City. I would have loved to have kept going to Seattle year after year after year. But I've been going to Oklahoma City at least twice a year, including a couple playoff series since 2008. And Russ was there for many of those years, uh, was there for many of those years. And that kind of play just sends a supercharged volt through the arena and through through the teammates. And like, I just, I love also the fact that Darius has brought up about the effect on AD that Russ can have. And I see those things as being related to that kind of thing. When you up the environment for somebody like AD, that's important. And like Russ used to do it for KD for Durant. And so like that, that part of it, I just, whenever you mention his name, Pete, and we've gone a certain amount, like thinking about, well, I don't know if Russ is going to do this, but I know he's going to do that. And and that can have a big impact. That's something too, where I, I think we don't give enough thought to the context of Russ's career and the teams that he's played on. He's needed to be that guy on every team that he's played for. And when he's been alongside uh, a high-end all-star, even superstar caliber player, those guys have great years alongside him, right? Like there's this kind of idea that Russell Westbrook is this ball hog that sucks up all the air out of the room and and that will not sacrifice and like, oh, you know, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do this. It's like, well, that was his role on those teams and others thrived alongside him to the point where like, I don't think a Westbrook team has ever lost 
a series that they weren't supposed to lose, right? To a team that they were not that that, that they were better than. And so this idea that Westbrook will not sacrifice or will or will not change or alter his game, I think it's I think it's premature. I don't think it's necessarily inaccurate, right? We will see, but I think the circumstances of all of his other teams that he's played for dictated him as being a really ball-dominant guy that needed to do these certain things. That doesn't mean he's not capable of other things, D. It doesn't. It doesn't. I I don't want so and I'm not saying that you're doing this, but personally, I'm not going to put on the rose-colored glasses when it comes to Russell Westbrook. He sure. is an excellent basketball player. The things that he has not been doing for a long time, I am not going to suddenly think, oh, well, he's playing with LeBron now. He's playing Mm -hmm. with Anthony Davis now. He's being slotted correctly now. So suddenly he is going to do do those things. Like, no, that's not how life works. Don't go against your own term, Darius. Don't go against your own slotting term. I know you love the slotting. I do love the slotting. And to Pete's point about saying this a thousand times a pod, I want to do a whole pod on Russell Westbrook and slotting. He is not going to be the third option. He's going to have the ball too much. Yeah. Like yeah. the idea of second and third option on this team is going to be fluid. It, it's not even really how basketball works, especially anymore, right? This idea of first option, second option, yeah, third option. It, it's third best player though, right? It's not third options, third, third best player. He yes. is the third best player. He he is the third best player. And how that how that manifests itself on the court is one of the things that we should be curious about to to steal a term, to steal Pete's term about like the things that we're looking forward to this season and things that we do not know, right? Because Russell Westbrook has not been on a team where there are three players as high quality as him and LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Not even those OKC teams where he played with James Harden, where James Harden was not yet James Harden, right? This would be like playing in Houston when he played with James Harden, the the, the MVP version of James Harden, and you add Paul George to that team. Or right? Kevin Durant to that or team. Or Kevin, Kevin Durant to that team. Mm-hmm. Or Joel Embiid to that team. It's sort of just like, oh my goodness, we've got two of your teammates are two of the top five to seven best players in the entire league. This is a whole nother level of guys that are surrounding you and how that impacts your game is going to be interesting. How like LeBron James is really the only player on this version of the Lakers who can claim to have experience playing in this type of an environment, right? He did it with the heat when he played with Wade and and with Bosch. And to a certain extent, he did it in Cleveland when he played with, with Kyrie and then that initial version of Kevin Love, who honestly was a monster. That version of Kevin Love was a monster. And so LeBron's the only one who knows what this is like. AD doesn't even know what this is like, right? AD knows what it's like to play with LeBron. He doesn't know what it's like to play with like, oh, LeBron just went out and wait, Russ is still on the floor with me. Yeah. Like I get to play yeah. two man game with this dude. It's yeah. not, and no disrespect to Rajon Rondo. It's not Rajon Rondo. It's not Taylor Horton Tucker, who is my next level up guy. It's, it's Russell Westbrook. And 
And Russ is going to feel the same thing in lineups where LeBron just left, but he gets to play with AD or AD just left and he gets to play with LeBron and Dwight. Right. And so the sack, the idea of sacrifice, the idea of how does it all fit? That's going to be a game to game thing that guys are going to have to fall into how this is all going to work. And whatever ideas we have, it's going to be very interesting to see how it actually plays out on the court with guys who are this good. You talked about the idea of a game to game, right? And figuring this out, Mike, you've, you've said a couple of things that have have stood out to me that I want to pick your brain on and go in depth on a little bit more alluding to the idea of having a more set rotation earlier on. I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So that's why I wanted to ask, but this idea of like, these are the guys that are going to play. And these are the guys that are not, it's kind of a different approach than last year, right? We had that 11 man, 12 man rotation where it's, you had that many guys that were worthy of playing, but they needed to get a certain degree of playing time. And that was part of how we never had any cohesion. Obviously the injuries were what came in after that. But do you believe that, it would be beneficial to us to have like our, these are our 10, right? And you might be the 11th guy and you're really good. And you might be eight on another team on another good team, but here you're 11. And that means that you're going to be out of the rotation. Part of it has to do with how unique last year was with a, all of the NBA health and safety protocol absences and B just the nature of the pandemic and the shortened off season. So last year I thought it made sense to have you know, basically one through 15 <laughs> it was going to we're going to have to be ready to get on the court and get some semblance of a rotation spot. But I think that in an ideal world, and I think, Pete, you were were you the one that brought up the Jerry Tarkanian quote? Yeah. A mm-hmm. couple pods ago. And so, yeah, you, you know, I, I won't I, we don't need to go through it again. But they're on this team with some guys that aren't sure if they're going to play or not. I think that you have to Frank Vogel has to take that on an individual basis. Some guys can handle it just fine. And maybe that's a veteran like an Ariza, for example, that you don't necessarily have to tailor his expectations a certain way. He's seen it all. He's been on 12 different teams and franchises like he's had every single kind of coach out there. He gets it. You know, he's fine. But, you know, maybe there is a certain way that you have to manage the expectations of a either a nun or even your own guy in THT, as you guys referred to earlier. And that that part of it to me is important for this season. And Russell Westbrook and LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the team is centered around those three now. It's not just LeBron and AD as in the past. But I just don't – I think that it can be tricky when you have guys that aren't exactly sure when they're going to come in and what role they're going to be playing, as even emphasized by Kuzma to an extent. It's just that there was no other way to do it last year. And maybe there is a way to do it this year. And I I just, I'm curious to see it, Pete. I don't think it has to be one way or the other. It's just something in an ideal world, you would, you would at some point settle on if like, if we have to here, here's how things are going to go. I think the key thing that you said there for me, Mike, is at some point, go back to the championship season. Great point. I just looked at minutes per game for the championship season and then i thought who was playing at the beginning of the season uh-huh. versus who was playing at the end of the season quinn yep. cook and at the beginning of the troy season daniels quinn cook <laughs> and troy daniels were in the rotation yep. they were rotation players dudley played in the open on opening night he was in the rotation yeah. too and I dudley played too play that game but yeah right. that's why i'm saying it's like there is an evolution 
of every team and every team gets to the point where they find their right mix and 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 they get to the point where roles have a way of shaking themselves out and we've now seen Vogel coach for two seasons they've been very sort of the two of the most crazy NBA seasons that you could have but we've sort of seen an idea of what he likes to do and how he tries to build out a plan over the course of a full season. And I do think that he he's going to come in to training camp with an idea of who he thinks his starting five should be. He may talk about how, oh, yeah, we're going to give everyone a chance. And, and I like open all of these guys, is. right? Yes, yeah. right? Yeah, it, the open competition leads to the starting five on opening night being the same starting five from the first preseason game, but eh, that's neither here nor there. Right, right. right? <laughs> but I do think that he's going to give a lot of players a chance. How he gives them a chance at the very beginning is going to inform decision-making that happens in game 10, in game 15, in game 20, in game 40. And by the time the playoffs come, he's going to have an idea of who are his guys that he can count on. And that's the process of building out something over the course of of a full campaign. No doubt. And as well, he should. And especially with so many new players, you got to give guys a shot and you have to let not not just because it's important for to figure out who the best players are actually going to play together, but also just for their own mindset of, hey, like I got I got a chance to come play with this lineup. And I got more than, you know, I got more than like two games to, to at least show what I could do. And then over the course of the season, then then it's easier when you get down to March and April in a, in a normal calendar, which this will be. And all of a sudden, all right, like some guy can accept, you know what, I didn't I didn't play as well as I should have. And then that not playing becomes more palatable to everybody. And that that's the that's kind of like the democratic way of going through the regular season. And I do think that Vogel's going to do that. And I do think we're going to see early in the season, all kinds of different looks, but it's even with that said, it's still like he went to AD at the five in the second half against Utah in the second game of the year, the first year that they had AD. So it's all going to be, and we're going to have a pot about it right after that game. Right. It's so it's, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all breaks down, but I don't. I think we're in agreement um, as to how they should approach it and and how it'll end up playing out. I, the, the original point, Pete, I just wanted to make was that I don't. I don't think that this this isn't a roster I look at and think, yeah, th- like this this is going to be the big problem. Like I think they have other issues that are going to be problems other than sort of the team chemistry and you know too many guys to play and too many cooks in the kitchen thing. That's not the vibe that I've been getting so far. And we'll see if it's it, we'll see if that ends up being the case as the season actually starts. I believe that that's going to be the case as well. Um, and the value of keeping everybody engaged is something that Vogel has held in high regard in prior seasons. Just that's been part of his rationale, right, is that we want to make sure that everybody's ready and so that when we get into a playoff series, everybody is is, uh, you know, ready to go. In terms of chemistry and, and sacrifice and people buying in, I think that there are so many guys on this team that have a certain level of stature in terms of who they are in the NBA, that if you're looking around your locker room and you see LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, those are five of the 15 to 20 titans of the NBA of the last 20 years, right? Those those guys are significant parts of the NBA story of the last two decades. And so 
if those guys are on the same page, if those guys to whatever degree can have a, a unity and, and uh, that meeting of the minds and be together and rowing in the same direction, I think that keeps everybody in lockstep behind them in a way that I'm less concerned about this right now. That said, you know, injuries, adversity always reveal what's true. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this transpires over the course of the season, but it is going to take a degree of sacrifice from everyone. And I'm really excited to hear how everyone has communicated that and that they know what they're signing up for when they sign up for this team. Really exciting uh, season ahead of us. We're going to get to all of these, you know, every pod we do, we have ideas for three more. We'll be back with more of that on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.